بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم صلى الله عليك يا رسول الله وعلى أهل بيتك المظلومين صلى الله عليك يا أبا عبد الله يا رحمة الله الواسعة ويا باب نجاة الأمة ما خاب من تمسك بكم أمنا من لجأ إليكم روحي وأرواح العالمين لك الفداء وأقل الفداء يا ليتنا كنا معكم سيدي فنفوز فوزا عظيما بر محمد وآل محمد صلوات صلوات الله وسلامه عليه بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا وعظيمنا وحبيب قلوبنا النبي المؤيد والرسول المسدد والمصطفى الأمجد والمحمود الأحمد حبيب إله العالمين أبي القاسم محمد صلوات الله وسلامه عليه وعلى أهل بيته الطيبين الطاهرين المعصومين سفن النجاة الأعلام من ركب سفينتهم نجا ومن تخلف عنها هلك وغرق ثم أما بعد respected sisters brothers Brothers, elders, scholars, assalamu alaikum jami'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We renew our pledge and our condolences on the eve of the 10th of Al-Muharram to none other than to Sahib Al-Asri wa Zaman, Ajjalallah Ta'ala Farajahu Sharif, on this occasion marking the martyrdom of none other than Imam Hussein, salawatullah wa salamuhu alayhi. Tonight marks a very important night for Imam Hussein and his companions. In fact, we are told that Sayyida Zainab requested a special time with her brother on the night of the 10th. So tomorrow is the 10th, yani a similar night like tonight. She requested a special meeting with her brother, Imam Hussain, in order to ask him the following question. She says to him, يا أخي هل استعلمت من أصحابك نياتهم Oh my brother Have you cross-checked And are you sure About the intentions And the sincerity of your friends Your companions Are you sure they're not going to abandon you Are you sure بسم الله صلى الله على محمد و از نظرات از جناب آقای اسماعیل، شیخ اسماعیل، یک موتور نیسان رو به نمبر پلک CVSL 634 به تقریباً وسط سرک پارک کردن. لطفاً موتور خود از بیکه نقل بدن. اگر موتور نیسان رو CVSL 634. تشکر. تشکر. احسن. صلو علی محمد و آلی محمد. Have you checked their sincerity and devotion to you that they will remain loyal to you tomorrow the minute the swords will clash and the armies will attack? The riwayah says the Imam cried, Salawatullah wa salamuhu and he said to his sister, Wallah, by God, I have rebuked them admonish them and I have put them to the test in the 
most befitting way possible. And I found them to be the most loyal of all the friends from the time of the friends of the prophet to my time. Why I mention this? Because the school of Karbala and the school of Ashura produce such caliber people. It is because of their association with Imam Hussein sallallahu alayhi and because they learned from Imam Hussein sallallahu alayhi how to be loyal, how to give everything you have for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They learned that from who? From Imam Hussein sallallahu He's the one that gave everything for the sake of Allah. Just like his grandfather Rasulullah, just like his father Amirul Mu'mineen sallallahu alayhi just like his brother Al-Hasan, just like his mother Fatima al-Zahra, and now is the turn of his companions. That the Imam on the, ninth, on the tenth night turns off the candles in the tent and says to his companions, see that night, see that night, the darkness of the night, Take it as a mean to travel within it like a camel and leave me. For by Allah, these people are only after me. They don't want the blood of anyone else. They only want me. So when he said that and turned the candle off, he heard cries like the sound of beehive. You know, the sound of bees inside their beehive buzzing sound of cries and when he turned the candle on again none of them had departed the place that they sat in and he said what made you stay behind what made you stay behind look at the answer one of them said Yabna Rasulillah, atuqtal, you get killed while we are escaping in order to ensure the safety of our life, what would we say to your grandfather and mother on the day of judgment? What do you want us to say to them? That we've abandoned the grandson of Rasulullah Now, you know, this is easy to say, easy to, to, to relate from the member. But when you are in the midst of the test, in the midst of the trial, it's not a joke anymore. Right? You are there and you are facing the moment of death. It's not like sitting here in an AC blasting with your friends and family members or having water every three, you know, five minutes and enjoying the majlis and the speech. It's a completely different scenario. Now we may say, while sitting here, labbayka ya Hussein. Yeah, labbayka ya Hussein. We will say it. Once or twice or three times or ten times, right? We will shout from the top of our voices and say, Labbaika ya Hussein. But should we be there on the plains of Karbala, on the field of Karbala, how many of us will say, Labbaika ya Hussein? You know, only 72 people remained with Hussein. Salawatullah salamu In a period of what? 60 years. After the Prophet, sixty years after the Prophet, seventy-two members of that community that pledged their allegiance to the religion of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam remained loyal to the message. These are facts. I'm, I'm not saying anything of the extraordinary. These are facts that history has recorded. And we inherited these records from history in as far as what happened on the day of Ashura. People lost that attachment and that loyalty and devotion to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa In fact, Rasulullah, in one, in his first speech, when he was in Arafah, which was then complemented by another speech in Ghadir Khum, where he declared the imama and the wilaya of Amir al-Mu'mineen, right? But he gave a speech also in Arafah. The speech he gave in Arafah, it is as if 
in that particular segment where the prophet says the following words, it's like the prophet was predicting what's going to happen to his grandson, Al-Imam Al-Hussein, sallallahu He says, لا ترجعوا بعدي كفاراً يضرب بعضكم رقاب بعض Don't turn kafirs after me where you carry and unsheath your swords in the face of one another. Don't turn kuffar. They unsheath their swords in the face of Ali ibn Abi Talib. Not once, not twice, but three times. Jamal, Usafin, Unahrawan. Right? For 25 years, your Imam sat quiet and did not ask for his right for one reason and one reason only, and that is to protect Islam and keep the unity of Muslims together. Until the Khilafah was given to him, immediately, once the Khilafah was given to him, they waged three wars against Imam Ali. Why all this hatred? He's the representative of Allah and the Prophet on earth. And then it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough that they fought against Amir al-Mu'mineen. But then they poisoned his son, Imam al-Hassan, and they ended up killing Imam al-Hussein. It's like the Prophet was talking to a brick wall. He was not talking to people. He's warning them, do not turn kuffar after me. Why all this happens? All this happens is when we do not live Islam practically. When we live Islam theoretically, yani Islam is beautiful. You read a book, mashallah, by Allama Amini, or you read a book by uh, uh, Allama Hussein Musa Wilari, or you read a book by uh, Ayatollah Dastaghaib, or you read a book by Sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Can I kindly, for the love of Muhammad wa Al Muhammad, ask the sisters to move forward so that we can uh, uh, allocate more space for those sisters who are joining us in our program tonight. So please, for the love of Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad, move forward uh, uh, so that we can. Sallu ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. When we study the character of Imam Hussein we find that the Imam never made decisions on the spur of the moment or hasty decisions Rather, he lived in such a manner and in such a way that he led him to measure such decisions only by the scale of one thing and one thing only. By the scale of Allah and Islam. That was his interest. That was his motivation. That was his devotion. That was his agenda. The agenda of Imam Hussein throughout his existence to the moment of his death was nothing else but Islam. The paradigm that Imam Hussein had was not in any way separate to the paradigm of Rasulullah. Sallallahu alayhi wa alayhi wa sallam. No wonder Rasulullah, when he speaks about Imam Hussein, what does he say? He says, Husseinun minni wa ana min Hussein. Salawatullahi wa salamu Hussein is from me, and I am from Hussein. You know the question that bids itself is this Husseinun minni, it's obvious. Obvious. Hussein is from me. It doesn't need explanation. He's my grandson. He is on the path that I am in. Everything about him is from me. But I am from him? How is that? How? Try and think about it. Give it a definition. Give it an explanation. How is Rasulullah from Hussein? The only way you can come to an effective, meaningful conclusion that makes sense that Rasulullah is from Hussein is if you say that the path of Hussein is the path of Rasulullah. So Rasulullah is from Hussein because we share the same path. No deviation, no separate system, right? So I cannot envisage that Rasulullah has a paradigm 
where it includes all the obligation of Islam, all the rituals of Islam, all what Allah expects from you. And then when it comes to Imam Hussein, I see a parallel system to that of Rasulullah. What is that parallel system? The parallel system of Hussein is less in uh, 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 difficulty than that of Rasulullah. Why? Because in the system of Rasulullah, it requires that you pray, you fast, you perform hajj, you go to Umrah, you do the ziyara of the imams, you help the poor, you uh, allocate a particular amount of your money towards charity. But in the system of Imam Hussein, all you need is cry for his Aliyun al-Akbar, Aliyun al-Azghar, and attend 10 days of majalis in a year, with that seal, Jannah is guaranteed. Could that even be possible? That we set two parallel systems, one easier than the other. And what? I come and have the audacity to argue that we have a body of ahadith that says, whosoever comes to the majlis of Hussein, or when Hussein is mentioned in his presence, he cries or he pretends to cry. Jannah is guaranteed for him. What a load of nonsense. If it is read out of context, if it is read out of context, that hadith should be read in context. And the context in which we read that hadith is that yes, indeed, our Imam said that. Indeed, our Imam encouraged us to cry for Imam Hussein But on the basis of what? On the basis of first establishing the same paradigm Imam Hussein lived and died for. And then along the way, if we slip here or there, then our Christ comes to what? To supplement and compensate for the slips that we have done in our life. It is not possible that the Imam sacrifices all his family members, even the infant child, and sacrifices in the process and for the sake of Salah, Abu al-Fadl al-Abbas, Aliyun al-Akbar, Aliyun al-Azghar, Abis al-Shakiri, Zuhair ibn al-Qayn, Muslim ibn Awsaja, Habib ibn Muzahir, and all these big names in order to maintain the medium of Salah. And then I come in the majlis of Imam Hussein and I don't even pray for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How is that even possible? Right? It doesn't make sense. That means we are not living Islam in its entirety. We are choosing from Islam what suits us and dumping the rest that does not make sense. Right? Zainab fought all her life for her hijab. And then I come and I claim my love to Zainab. And I'm not in any way doubting that. I'm not in any way doubting the love that we have for Zainab. But the love to the beloved must be corroborated by action and belief. Belief first in that person and then action that actually corroborate and strengthen that particular love that I'm declaring for that person by doing what? By saying, thank you, Zainab, you defended hijab. May Allah bless you. You kept your hijab, but I will not keep it. Is that how I follow someone that I'm fond of? Is that how I follow someone that I am so in love with and so in, in awe of her struggles, of her struggles? Sayyidah Zainab was the one that people never saw her shadow when she left her home in Medina because she was protected and her brothers hovered around her to protect even her shadow. Now all of a sudden, her Face covering is snatched from her on the day of Ashura and taken as prisoner of war. And she maintained her solidarity and her iman. And, and she stood on the plains of Karbala like a mountain unshaken in order to preserve the medium of modesty. And then I sell my modesty at the cheapest of prices. You know, and modesty is not for our sisters, by the way. Modesty is prescribed first for our brothers. The Quran, when it speaks about modesty and lowering of the gaze, it does not begin with the sisters. It begins with who? 
with the brothers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَقُلْ لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ Say, O oh Muhammad, to the believing men, Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. Say, O oh Prophet of Allah, to the believing men, to do what? To lower their gaze and protect their privacy. Right? And then Allah says, وَقُلْ لِلْمُؤْمِنَاتِ And then, O oh Muhammad, say to the believing women, to lower their gaze and also protect their privacy. Why did Allah start with the mu'mineen? Because the obligation to lower the gaze is on us regardless whether the woman takes the hijab or not. That is her responsibility. Your responsibility is not to get that extra kick by the sisters to help you lower your gaze. No. You need to prove what a mu'min you are, that when you are challenged, you are able to be in control. You don't just buckle. You don't just lose it. Right? No, you are able to stand your ground. No matter how beautiful, and beauty is relative. Wallah, it's relative. In today's world, what is beautiful to you could be ugly to me. What is ugly to me could be beautiful to you. Right? So the onus is on us. In another word, what I'm trying to say is that a follower of Hussein is someone who's aware and able to understand all his surroundings. And he is ready to face all his surroundings. The challenges that come his ways, whether it's coming from within the community or from outside the community as we see it today. We are being challenged big time we are being challenged for believing in Allah. We are being challenged for keeping our dignity and modesty. We are being challenged for keeping our gender. We are being challenged for maintaining our faith in Allah and in Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and in Ahlul Bayt sallallahu wa sallamu alayhim ajma'in. Wherever you go, you are being challenged. As a Muslim, that challenge, when it comes your way, you should take it head on. You take the challenge on. Because when Allah challenges you, it is not to weaken you, but to strengthen you. Allah wants you to be challenged. For example, for example, when you go to a goldsmith, you know what a goldsmith? A jeweler, a jeweler, someone that manufactures jewelry. He gets the gold. He wants to mold the gold. He wants to form the gold. What is the first thing he does to the gold? He gets the gold, or you give him a piece of gold. You say, I have this piece of gold. I want to mold it into a ring. He says to you, wait, let me check first if it is gold. Right? Let me check first if it is gold. He will go and get a chisel. He will chisel the metal until he uncovers the first layer to know whether this is metal, copper, or it's gold. And sometimes he can't tell. He can't tell if it is gold or not. So you know what he does? He goes and burns it. Right? He burns the gold. He gets a torch and he burns the gold. That is called challenging the gold. When he torches the gold and gets to the bottom of it, he will see that the gold now is glittering. It's not melting. It's glittering which is a sign that this particular element is now what? It's gold, right? So when Allah challenges you, chisels you, you know, tries to send some real heavy stuff to reveal your, your true self, that means you are now a mu'min. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has established that you are a mu'min. He is the one who said, Ahasiban nas. Do people think that they will let go to say and declare we are believers without them being put to the trial and test and challenge? Impossible. Impossible. Right? You have to go through this medium of challenge and this medium of, you know, uh, 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 where you are, your personality or your identity is actually torched in order to reveal its purity and brighten up 
not only brightens, brightens up for itself, but it brightens up everything that surrounds it. So you become a beacon, a beacon of guidance. Just like Rasulullah said to Imam Hussein, right? إِنَّ الْحُسَيْنَ مِصْبَاحُ الْهُدَى وَسَفِينَةُ النَّجَاتِ Surely Hussein is the lantern of guidance. He's the light of guidance. You see Hussein and you are attracted to him. You feel the guidance of Hussein in action. And not only that, and if you hold to him and you practice what he wants you to practice, then you are able to be invited into his ark of salvation. Right? The ark of salvation. The ship of salvation. As long as you hold fast to the teachings of Imam Hussein Imam Hussein is someone that whenever he does anything, he calculates all his decisions in the light of both worlds. Not only dunya, but what will happen in akhirah. This life and the hereafter. That means you need to lead a balanced life. Just like I quoted the hadith of Amir al-Mu'mineen, salawatullah wa salamu two days ago when he said, live in this world as if you're going to live forever and work for your akhirah as if you're going to die tomorrow. Tomorrow. What a balanced life. Islam doesn't say don't get rich. Get rich. Islam doesn't say don't own property. Own property. But don't allow this to take you away from akhirah. Right? Lead a balanced life. Whoever tells you Islam is against wealth does not understand Islam. But wealth that is accrued through halal means, right? That kind of wealth has a blessing in it. Especially if it is spent in the right way. If it's spent in the right way. Muslims therefore should be very aware about the politics that leads them. Do not allow yourself to be indoctrinated because Imam Hussein could have been easily indoctrinated by the machinery of Bani Umayyah tell me something tell me something so you understand what I mean by indoctrination wherever it's coming from you need to be a free thinker not everything that comes your way even if it's coming from an authority you need to understand is this authority actually working for you or against you Tell me something. What was the narrative? What was the narrative during the time of Bani Umayyah about Imam Ali? What was the narrative? That Imam Ali prayed or did not pray? He did not pray, right? That was the narrative. The narrative was that Imam Ali did not pray. All of a sudden, and people believed it or not? They did. Allahu Akbar. People believed in sham that Imam Ali did not actually pray. But when the news arrived in Sham that Ali ibn Abi Talib has been martyred in the mihrab, in the niche, what happened to these people who were indoctrinated? They were shocked. Who told them that Ali ibn Abi Talib did not pray? The authorities, the government, right? Sometimes we are told things by this so-called government, it's a lie. And they want you to believe the lie against all the odds in order to control you. In order to make you subdued to their agenda. I ask sometimes myself, where is our agenda as Muslims? Where is our agenda? Every single party, every single group, every single way of life today that we live in, in any country, in any part of the world they have an agenda ask a muslim where is your agenda where is your agenda what do you live by what do you abide by you know when muslims we must all have a mission we are the custodian now of a mission handed down to you and me by our imam and that mission is Islam. We are duty-bound to protect that faith. To protect our children against the wave of, you know, godliness. Godliness. You know, when Pope, John, uh, Pope John, uh, Paul John 
Pope John Paul II, not this one now, the one before him, and the one before him. In 2000, he came to visit Australia. And that guy was a, was a great guy, by the way. Don't, don't he was really for reconciliation and unity among families of faith. He went out of his way to bring like Muslims and, and Christians and together, you know, so, so that Sallu ala Muhammadin wa ali Muhammad. When he came to Australia, that is in 2000. Yani how many years? 23 years, right? He met the cardinal that he appointed. He appointed a cardinal in Australia. I don't want to mention the name. After he visited his papal visit, okay, he met with that cardinal. He said, what are you doing in terms of spreading Christianity in Australia? He said, why your pontiff? They call him the pontiff. Hmm? Why your pontiff? What, 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 what did you observe? What did you see? Listen to the words of John Paul II. He said, I have visited more than 50 countries. I found Australia to be the most godless society in the world. What are you guys doing? He's telling him, what are you doing? Huh? What are you doing with the money of the Catholic Church? Where are you spending it? You know, And imagine the world now 23 years later. How everything is being invested to actually undermine people who have a belief in Allah or a belief in God. Regardless whether you're a Muslim or a Christian or a Jew or a Buddhist or a, or a Jain or a Hindu, or a Sikh, regardless, regardless. If you believe in God, you are being challenged. You are being challenged, inshallah. Ahsan. For the love of Imam Sahib al-Asri wa zaman Ajjalallah ta'ala farajahu sharif, I ask you to come forward. Now the brothers turn, please. So if you can stand up and come forward with the loudest of your salawats. One more time with the loudest of your salawat. <clears throat> what is our mission as Muslims? We need a mission. What is that mission? That mission that we should all adopt as Muslims, as followers of Ahlul Bayt, salawatullahi wa salamu is to promote better understanding about practical Islam, not theoretical Islam. How to apply Islam into action. How I interact with my neighbors, with the community I live in, with my friends, with my parents, how the parents interact with their children, how husbands and wife interact with one another and become role models to their children. So their children, when they look at their parents' relationship, they would feel eager to get married. Eager to get married. But I can assure you, 60% of our boys and girls today, when they look at how their parents behave at home, these 60 to 70% of our kids, they say, I will never get married. If this is how marriage is all about, right or wrong? Right or wrong? I, I'm speaking to the youth. I want to see the heads of the youth nod because I know what is going in your mind and what is going in your heart. We do not lead a role moral example in our marriage. Of course, please forgive me. I'm not talking about you. Okay? I'm talking about the Muslim population in general. 60 to 70 percent of the Muslim population do not want to be in the medium of marriage anymore. And imagine with all the challenges around us, musibah, calamity, disaster, disaster. If our children begin to think that marriage is not for them anymore. So we need to shift the paradigm, change the paradigm. And the onus is on us 
to give that excellent example of what it means to be husband and wife. And number one quality of understanding and giving an excellent paradigm of what marriage is all about are two things. Number one, our children must see a level of high understanding and respect from the mother to from the wife towards the husband and from the husband towards the wife that's number one number two is that there should be a kind of tranquility they call it home brothers and sisters because that's the place where you feel comfortable that's the place when you go to a party or a wedding with 17 inch high heel and break your back wearing it right the minute you get home what is the first thing you do is you kick the high heel and put the pjs on and and, and lay on the couch now you are relaxed that's how marriage should appear to our children it's the home that gives that sense of tranquility that that when the children look at their parents and they say you know what guys Thank you for living like husband and wife the way our Islam wants you. Because now I'm eager to find a wife like my mom. Right? Or the daughter would say, I'm eager to find a husband like my dad. Like my father. This is what we need. Right? The, the, you know, the issue is that we need to learn how to sacrifice. I asked the youth yesterday, what is love? Describe to me in some words what is love. Someone said tranquility. Someone said respect. All these are part of love. But true love is what? You know what true love is? True love is when one of the partners would sacrifice for the sake of seeing his partner happy, not himself happy at the cost of his family. You're following? So that when I do something to see my wife smiling and comfortable and my children happy, even if it means I'm not sleeping enough, this is love. And it should be reciprocated on the part of the children and the wife towards the husband. They should also sacrifice in order to see their dad happy and living comfortably. It takes two to tango. It takes two it cannot be one-sided under any circumstances, right? So the mission is to promote a better understanding about practical Islam as a way of life and to create awareness within the community and the family about personal... Sallu ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad. About personal development and involvement towards achieving the ideal human Muslim. What makes you a true Muslim through that promotion of the practicality of the laws of Islam. How do we achieve this? We achieve this through the inculcation of 12 points. I may not cover the 12 points today, but let me start with number one. To enhance the quality of life of individual Muslims and their family. That's the first criteria. How can we support and help one another as Muslims? As Muslims, it is very important, brothers and sisters, to understand the wasiyah of Ahlul Bayt, salawatullah wa salamuhu alayh. Like, for example, in the wasiyah of Imam Sadiq to one of his companions, Ibn Jundub, his name. He was one of the highest ranking, you know, companions of Imam Sadiq, salawatullah wa salamuhu alayh. In one of his wasiyah, he says, it's a very long wasiyah. He says to him, in that wasiyah in regard to that you know social uh, cohesion and and social uh, uh, interaction he said that tell our shia tell our shia that they should identify themselves with the following qualities being charitable towards their muslim fellow brothers and sisters and to come to their rescue financially when they are unable to support themselves. This is one of the highest quality of a mu'min to come to the... Imam al-Baqir, you know, Allah, I don't understand time. Imam al-Baqir, in one of his wasiyah, he's sitting there and he's telling his companions, he said, tell me something. 
tell me some do you support one another as a community that you claim that you love us and you follow us they said yes he said listen and then he asked the question he said does the rich among you go looking for the poor among you so that the poor does not have to ask and the rich would come to his rescue before he would forces him to ask him for help look at that to save his face so that uh, companion said, no, Yabna Rasulullah, we don't do that. We don't do that. Listen to what Imam al-Baqir says, salawat lies. He says, by Allah, for someone to make sure that a Muslim family is saved from the, uh, uh, the, the, the plight of asking ants and the plight of humiliation in asking. Because, you know, to ask humiliates a person, humiliates by God, someone who saves a family from the plight of humiliation of asking. It is worth by Allah more than performing Hajj, more than performing Hajj, more than performing Hajj, more than performing Hajj. And the one who is narrating the Hadith, he says the Imam repeated himself 70 times. 70 times to save one family humiliation. It's better than going and performing 70 times Hajj, but not Hajjul Islam. The voluntary Hajj. Until you've done your Hajj, right? Alhamdulillah. With that money, don't go and be selfish and perform another Hajj. Go and look for a family that needs that money. That's what makes you a Shia and a follower. That's what makes you someone with an agenda. You know, today is a very hard night for the lovers of Ahlul Bayt and for the Imam Hussein himself, salawatullahi wa salamu This is the night where he bids his family farewell. This is the night where in the morning of the 10th of Ashura, no one remains. Sayyidah Zainab comes to Imam Hussein, salawatullahi wa salamu and she hands over Aliyun al-Azghar to him. She said, that is the last soldier that remains in your tent. There is no more. They've all passed away. They've all been martyred, except one or two. Of course, Imam Zain al-Abidin, one rewire says also Imam al-Bakr was there as well, right? And some of the children of Imam al-Hassan, other than al-Qasim, from memory, right? But this is from the progeny of Imam Hussein, Ali ibn al-Azghar. So Imam Hussein takes that young six-month infant boy and stands in the middle of Karbala, and he starts to cry. Is there anyone that will come to the rescue and the protection of Rasulullah and his family? Is there someone that believes in the oneness of Allah comes in order to protect us as family of the Prophet? And then the loud cries of the woman comes from the tent. He says, give me my son, Ali al-Azghar. He takes his son, his son and goes towards the battlefield. This is the first time your Imam, salawatullahi wa salamu goes walking into the battlefield. Meaning, he's telling the other side, I'm not here to fight. I'm not here to fight. I'm not on the back of my horse or on the back of my camel. I'm here for something else. He presents Ali al-Azghar to them and he says, If the elders consider that they've made a mistake by fighting me. Let's assume, hypothetically, that you consider us to have made a mistake in coming here and fighting you. What crime has this infant child committed on the plains of Karbala? You're denying us water, fine. You're denying my women folk water, fine. But what is the plight of this six-month-old baby? Why are you preventing him from a sip of water? Fa'alat al-aswat. Voices were raised in the camp of Umar ibn Sa'd. One group says, give them water. And the other group says, Wallah, if the entire earth was water, we will not give you a sip of it in order to quench your thirst. Then Umar ibn Sa'd al-La'in looks towards Hormala. He says, oh Hormala, 
cut the debate of my army. Hormala says to Umar ibn Sa'ad, who should I throw? Who should I throw with my arrow? The father or the child? So they know. They know their plight. They know their ugliness. They know their criminality. Seize the debate among my army or Hormola. Hormola said, I took the arrow and placed it in the middle of my bow. I waited momentarily until a moment came where the cover that Ali al Azgar Abdullah Radi was covered with was blown away by the wind and his neck appeared to me like that of a piece of silver i then took my three-headed arrow brothers this is an infant child an infant child does he require a three-headed arrow to be killed one arrow small arrow would be enough to kill that, you know, little infant boy. He says, when I saw that, I threw my arrow in the direction of Hussein, carrying his son, Aliyun al-Azghar, Ya'uzzu alaykum ya mu'mineen. It bereaves you, O mu'mineen, to know that the arrow slit the neck of Aliyun al-Azghar from one side to the other Ali al Azhar began to shake and began to shake up and down then Imam put his hand under the wound of Ali al Azhar until his hand was filled with the blood of Ali al Azhar he took it and threw it towards heaven then he said, Allahumma la yakun alayk ahwan min fasili naqati salih. Oh Allah, do not consider my son to be any less than the she-camel of Prophet Salih. That you turn the world upside down for a she-camel. This is my son, oh Allah. Not a single blood came back to earth. Then Imam Hussein carried his son towards the tent. Sakina came and said, Oh Baba Hussein, did you find water for my brother Ali al Azhar? He said, Oh daughter, your brother Ali al Azhar has his neck slit from one end to the other. The plight of Ali al Azhar doesn't end there, brothers and sisters. You know, if you recall two minutes of your time you know when the boat people started coming to Australia and some of them drowned and most of them were our brothers from Afghanistan they were coming as refuge they died and Iraq one day a Sayyid in our community went to bid for, for, uh, to bid condolences to an Iraqi refugee who lost his son at sea he drowned he drowned at sea so he went so to he him went and, to he and he said, he said you know, you know it's, okay. it's okay, Allah will Allah replace you, replace you someone, someone better in Jannah. He said he to said the Sayyid, yeah, Sayyid, yeah, Sayyid, yeah, Sayyid. I'm not I'm complaining, not complaining but, all but all I wanted is a dignified burial for my son. I couldn't bury him. He was in the bottom of the This Sayyid cried. He said, then I remembered something. I turned to this man and told him, do you know what actually happened to Ali ibn al-Azhar? He said, yes, I know his neck was slit from one end to another. He said, no. He said, part of his head was still hung to the body. And Imam Hussein buried Ali al-Azhar with his own hands behind the tent. Hormala knew because he was looking and he saw Imam Hussein doing that. Do you know what Hormala did? 
after the battle of Karbala, he took a lance and he started beating the earth with it behind the tent where Ali ibn al-Azghar in order that the lance would connect with the body of Ali when the body, when the lance finally connected with the body of Ali al-Azhar, he lifted him from under the ground and then he took his dagger and he completed the severing of the head of Ali al-Azhar. He said, have you ever seen a plight like that of Hussein sallallahu in regard to his son Ali al-Azhar, inna lillah wa inna ilayhi raji'oon. His mother, Ar-Rabab, when an Imam Hussein came to see him, she couldn't hold her tears back. She fell unconscious to the ground. It doesn't end here, brothers and sisters. This is the end of the battle. When the battle of Karbala ended, of Ashura, what happened? Finally, Omar ibn Sa'ad decided to give water to the woman of the camp of Imam Hussein. When he brought the water and they drank, all of a sudden, they began collecting the woman and the children in one tent. Because you know, they burned all the tents, right? They burned all the tents. And then she could not find Arraba. She could not find Arraba. She went out in the desert, walking over the bodies of the martyrs until she heard a lady crying. She went towards her and she saw Arrabab. She said, Rabab, what are you doing here? She said, when they gave us water, my milk came. I was looking for my son. So I can come and give him a sip of water or some of my milk. وسيعلم الذين ظلموا أيام قلب ينقلبون ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم Five times from the bottom of your hearts for those who have asked us to pray for them and there are many. This is Laylatul Dua. This is the night of Dua. This is the night where Allah inshallah will respond to you by the merits of Hussein, by the shafa'ah of Hussein, with the loudest of your salawat. مضطر إذا دعاه ويكشف السوء أمان أمان يجيب المضطر إذا دعاه أمان Last one with the loudest of your voices, Amman. By the right of Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad, and by the right of Suratul Mubarakatil Fatiha, proceeded with salawat ala Muhammad wa Ali Muhammad. Yeah.